I kind of notice that human beings have this tendency to carpet mentalize their reality and to arrive and show up in certain situations in a certain way. And they don't really unify their aspects of selves and present their best selves because they think they need to show up in a certain way. Now, this isn't directly related to what we're talking about in today's podcast, but I think it's correlated. Um, in today's podcast, I'm having an interesting conversation with Raw of Earth, um, someone who I've been following for about three years now, and who I would arguably say has offered me, um, through various different podcast episodes, many different resources that have created great shifts in my own reality and my own perspective and the way I view and show up in the world. And in this conversation, we dive into things like energy, the importance of what you consume, the importance of having a good intention or being mindful of your intention, the importance of accepting and having responsibility, and a multitude of other things with regards to the human condition. And then we kind of move into the present moment of COVID and the the great shift that is happening and how many people are fixated on the momentary pain points but are missing the fact that there's a massive amount of opportunity that is being presented at hand. So I think this is a really great conversation. And one of the reasons why I bring up the idea of Cartman's car mentalization excuse me is because raw is someone who isn't typical in that you can pigeonhole him into a box he used to be a business owner owned many gyms a a professional athlete a competitor um is very very much a spiritual teacher but is also now evolving into the world of business and finance and the online world and shares a little bit of insight into that. So it's a really great conversation that I hope will offer you some insight and will be able to offer you some sort of applicable uh, possibilities that can serve you during this time of great transition. So for those of you who are just joining for the first time, I want to thank you for your time. And for those of you who are uh, tuning back in, again, I want to thank you Um, It's been really overwhelming and humbling to receive such kind words and encouragement from friends and people that I have yet to meet personally, but um, so far I'm really enjoying this journey, and um, yeah, I'm really excited to share this episode with you, and without further ado, I present you Raw of Earth. Raw, I am really, really excited to talk to you today for so many reasons, which I hope to um, dive into, and I... I'm pretty sure I'm already going to want to connect with you again because of just the vastness of the knowledge that you have. So I wanted to first welcome you and see how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing fine. Are you, are you in California right now or are you in? Yes. Northern California though, like very, like 45 minutes from the border in Mount Shasta. Oh, awesome. I've seen some pictures of you in like the forest and it looks like amazing yeah mount chest is actually the root chakra of the planet energetically it's it's pretty awesome here so we yeah. move here for the energy do you by any chance like follow those like chakra lines when you travel or is this just something you just happen to fall on no, I'm in Mount Shasta specifically for that reason. Do I go to other places? Yeah, I do. I do 
frequent high energy places on the on the world. So I look at the ley lines and the grid, but not all of them are are that accessible in America. So I think one of the things that is interesting because I've I've mentioned about you and the books that you've recommended to your listeners one of which was the initiation book. A lot of people always ask, why is his name Ra? And so I was wondering if you would share a little light onto that question. I'm sure you get all the time. So my birth name is Ronald, and I went most of my life as Ronnie. And as I was transitioning out of one phase of my life where I was like highly in the the gym world and very active, very competitive, I wasn't really feeling connected to Ronnie anymore. And I was 33, 34 years old. So it was, it was sounding a little boyish. So I, so I went to Ronald and I, I also didn't really, it didn't resonate with me. And at the same time, I was going through Kundalini teacher training, which is a, uh, it's a yogic, it's a, it's a method of yoga. And in there, there is an opportunity to be assigned a spiritual name by some guru. And the deal with the spiritual name is that you give up your birth name. And so I was ready to do that because the, the previous names that I've, uh, that I was going with weren't feeling correct. So then I got assigned the name <clears throat> Ravi Chander and Ravi means essence of the sun and Chander means moon. So I got assigned the name basically like sun moon. And I went with Ravi for a little bit. And Ravi also didn't really sound and it didn't resonate with me. But Ra did. I was already kind of going as Ra on Instagram. And it was just an Instagram thing when I started it. It wasn't anything for real. But then after Ravi just wasn't landing, I was like, okay, Ronald, Ronnie, Ravi, Ra, it was always a part of all of that. And it feels the best. So I just went with Ra and my birth name is Ronald. So it's, it's, it's the same thing as somebody going from Ronald to Ron or, or William to Will. I'm just going from Ronald to Ra. (laughs) Isn't Ra like a a god or isn't that the the name for the sun? Yeah, yeah, it's all of that. Ra Ra is in what we know of as Egypt, right? So I I don't really uh resonate with the the story that we're told in the history books, but what we what we know of of Egypt there was a god named Ra. And from my understanding, this is all spelled out in the books uh I can't really see them, but they're right behind me. So there's a bunch of these books, the raw material, and there's five of these books. And in these books, Ra actually wrote these books. So he's the author of these books. And, and essentially what he explains is that he's not a he. He's, he, he made himself into an entity that we know of as Ra in ancient Egypt. But really... Ra is a collection of souls that ascended out of Venus. And so it's essentially the equivalent of the entire civilization of Venus in one conscious entity. But in order for us to understand that and communicate, he uh, 
he made himself into one being and, and, and shifted his dimensional status. I should say, I should say density status down a few levels and into physical form and came onto this earth to impart wisdom into the people that we know of as the Egyptians. Interesting. So, so Ra is, you know, it's one entity, but it's really the collection of consciousness from Venus. It makes me uh, wonder as well, because you've mentioned that we are multidimensional and you've also kind of brought up the term human technology. So is that consciousness of raw? Do we hold that same consciousness being that we are a part of something bigger, but through us, we are kind of like a vessel that is Jamila or raw? Mm -hmm. Is that true to us or is that just to someone of a higher mind or higher dimensional capability? I want to start by saying that I don't, when I speak, it is of my knowing and I don't want to come across like I'm trying to convince anybody of this being true for them. So the way that I understand it is that I mentioned the word density earlier. So density refers to the perspective of consciousness. So if you were to imagine there's a cell, like a liver cell in our body, right? That liver cell has a job to do. It, it, it eats, it excretes, it replicates, it lives, it dies. There is a perspective of consciousness that is our liver cell. And it probably has illusion, I should say, like in quotes, an illusion of separateness from the cell next to it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you zoom out to our perspective, we embody all of these cells in us into one organism. And we don't really have the perspective that they have. So in the entire vastness of the universe, which I would even say the universe is one, like universe means one song, right? It's, it's one. I would even say that the universe is a cell of many other universes, multiverses, but, uh, I think that there's a way to zoom in and out of different perspectives. So we are all selves. And so there's a way right now we're, we're individually identifying as one self, one cell on this planet. However, there is something called Gaian theory, which alludes to the planet being its own entity that is alive just, you know, more alive than we are, but completely having all of the components of, of life that we would consider alive. So I think it's more of a perspective thing. Eventually, yes, we would be able to perceive out so that we are merged with these beings called Ra, right? And then eventually perceive out to where the entire galaxy and then out until we're the entire universe. And the evolution of consciousness goes through these shifts. And right now we are learning to be an individual self on planet earth, because in order to cooperate as an entire civilization, we would need to understand all of the potential experiences that every individual entity could have. And once we are harmonious once we stop trying to, so in order to be individuals, there's in the beginning stage, it's very important to have sovereignty. It's very important to, to have individualism. I'm kind of starting in the middle because 
the perspective points before us are, let me actually back up. Let me, I'm, I feel like I'm going to explain how this whole stages things work. So let me just, <laughs> let me just start with like, like first density. So this is a rough kind of roughly what's in those books. It's been about eight years since I read those books, but roughly what it says is that first density is the elements, rock, stone, air, and these elements are kind of just existing in a forever state and there's really no awareness, okay? And eventually the rock and the stone forms together through consciousness and forms plants and animals and plants and animals are considered second density. And as a plant and animal, you have awareness. So you would, you would evolve once you have graduated as mineral, air, all of those, those elements, you would evolve to eventually be birthed into a plant or an animal. And you would live several million lives as plant and animals, developing your awareness. Eventually, at the higher levels of those lifetimes, you would start developing self-awareness and you start noticing it in the higher level animals like gorillas, where they guard their territory, they have mates, they have social constructs, they have understandings, and they're starting to develop self-awareness. Also, our pets, we are actually an example of the third density uh, is self-awareness. We are teaching a second density animal self-awareness so that its next lifetime considering if we're talking from a linear standpoint linear time standpoint its next lifetime it could be born a human lower level humans are very attached to self-awareness to individual identities because that is the whole point of this density as we graduate through this third density we start to learn harmony with each other. So higher functioning humans, we can say like over many, many multiple lifetimes, they start to learn that yes, they are a self, but they also can be harmonious with others. Because the fourth density, there there's capabilities where we can feel each other. And so as a species, we will graduate into fourth density or go into a different dimension where everyone like us is in fourth dimension density and leave back everybody who doesn't have the capabilities, the prerequisites of harmony, because in fourth density, what you feel, I feel. So the collective starts to feel everybody's pain, suffering, emotions, right? So now we're starting to connect as a species. The internet is kind of a technological version of this. It's starting. As soon as we start taking these heart rate monitors and, and putting people's emotional states on their social media programs, that's essentially the technological equivalent of this. It's teaching us, it's training us to understand whether people are feeling. And then we can start holding equations in our head of what actually makes all of us happy as opposed to what makes me happy because it's possible for all of us to be happy. And when we all feel each other connected like that, that's all we would want. We wouldn't want homelessness to exist. We wouldn't want child suffering to exist. We wouldn't want any suffering to exist because we would feel it, okay? Once that is conquered, once we, we you know, go through fourth density, fifth density, we start to know. We start to, when one person has a thought, the entire planet of people have a thought, 
Okay, and so you can start to see that third density is necessary to to identify as individuals so that as we start merging our our feelings and our thoughts together, we can gain value from the person digging ditches, the person flying an airplane, the person who's who's learning in school. We can massively evolve as a civilization because we are tapping into all of the collective experience. That's fifth density. Sixth density, between sixth density and seventh density, we start to lose the need of a body. And that's where the, like the term enlightenment happens, where the, the collective individual experiences are no longer needed. We have felt everything possible on this planet. We have known everything possible on this planet from all of the experiences. And we start to not need this physical form anymore. And we evolve into a bodiless entity that is completely connected with all of the experience. And this is where like the notion of God comes from, because it is the all knowing of what is possible on planet earth. And so we are right now in third density and we're, we're traveling up this ladder. Eventually you get to like, just be light and then recycle through into another octave of existence, which I don't know too much about. That is one way of explaining the meaning of life. There's, there's many different ways of doing that. And it seems like a lot of different cultures have different ways of explaining the same thing, but they explain it in massively different ways. So it's really interesting. Yeah. It seems as though from the third density there, the the need to transition seems like it shifts from head to heart. And I, I think one thing that you mentioned was that the heart has profound language and also it's, it transcends just one density. So I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate on that a little bit um, and just kind of tap in more, because I think personally, I think that a lot of people that I'm, I think are listening to this podcast are kind of new to these conversations. So they don't necessarily understand the connection between the human technology and also the emotional body. And from my understanding of of your teachings is kind of like the heart is the gateway or the connector between those two aspects. So I was hoping maybe you could do your thing on that one. (laughs) For sure. So the, so back to densities, the, the levels of densities that I was just explaining, you're right. The next level is associated with the heart and that's the fourth density, but actually the way the densities work go from, um, root chakra, second chakra, third chakra, fourth chakra, like the chakras, the main chakras, I should say, are associated with the densities. So yeah, we're going to to heart next. And so the heart is interesting because it is, uh, number one, it extends beyond our body. So when we really ask yourself, like, what is I? what do I mean when I say I, a lot of people think that it, it just is like everything enclosed in our skin suit. And that's a really weird thing because our heart electrically, electromagnetically resonates outside of ourself. And also 
when when we when we think about our, ah, I could the heart would need to be strong enough if it was just pumping the blood cells through the blood vessels. It would have to be strong enough to pump our blood through a hose. And if the hose was pointed up, it would have to blast up six kilometers. Like that's how strong of a pump our heart would need to be to push all this stuff through. So our heart is not pumping blood through. It's actually the, the blood cells are connected electromagnetically through our heart and they spin, they vortex through our blood vessels directed by this electromagnetic resonator. So, so they're like, it's like the heart is the remote and they're responding to what it's telling them to do. And we actually get hot because of those cells when we exercise, because those cells, they vortex through and they rub on the side of our blood vessels that creates friction and that heats us up. Now, the heart is doing that within our body. It's also doing that into our reality. So that's where this whole function of I and what is self, because we are most definitely impacting the electromagnetic reality in which we exist. We are communicating with it and it is communicating with us because there really is no separation. We're all connected electromagnetically. And when scientists look into reality and they get a microscope and get a stronger microscope and get a stronger microscope, they really don't find things. They don't, they don't find like particles, they find shapes and it's, and it's geometrical shapes of, they don't know, because if they keep on looking smaller and smaller, smaller, they just find forms and it's like forms of all of the same stuff. I should, I could say like light, it's forms of electromagnetic energy or light. And so we are all just the same thing. And they've done studies where they hook up people to a random image generator. Well, they hook up people to, to a machine that's, that's measuring the heart. And then they show the people images. And the images are, it's like picture of clouds, picture of a car, picture of a field, picture of a baby with its head cut off, right? So it's like, it's like pleasant pictures. And then all of a sudden, like some catastrophic picture and it's randomly generated pictures. And what they find is that the heart knows when that catastrophic picture is going to happen before the machine even picks it, okay? So, wow. so the heart is also transcending time is one way of putting it, or the heart is connected slash controlling the, the timeline or the realities. So, our heart is, is very misunderstood, very mistaught. And so when we go, when we approach people who also have a heart of their own, we're essentially two fields interacting with each other. And there's a lot more communication in the heart fields than we are able to express with words or facial expressions. Not everybody has the connection from the heart into the brain. And that's what you're talking about. Like when we say move into the heart, all that really means is open up the perception, like open up the sense organ of the heart so that we can feel into reality and feel the people who are interacting with their heart. It's a subtle thing, 
but it's a sensation that yes, as we evolve as a human, even through one lifetime, it's a sensation that we can learn to bring on, right? That is as strong, if not stronger than our eyes, our nose, our ears. And if you go into another density of being like a dog, they're actually more connected to all of this, right? They just have awareness. They don't have self-awareness, right? Well, dogs do, but animals, they're kind of just like operating on the grid. They're hungry and then there's food. They want a mate and there's a mate. And they just kind of like are acting, they're connected more than we are. But if we go to a dog, there's another interesting study that was done in Europe. I think they, they found like tens of thousands of people with dogs and they would look at the dogs and measure the dogs and it became very apparent that the dogs knew exactly when their owners had a thought to come home. For those of you who have dogs, like dogs are like, when you leave, they like think that you're not coming back. And so every time you come back home, it's like the greatest thing in the world because they just got reunited with, with their pack again. And so just when people were at work and they thought about coming home, the dog would start waiting by the door and like wagging its tail. And obviously it wasn't just because of schedule because people would come home early or they would go out for errands, but the dog knew. And my dog all, also does the same thing. Uh, if, if my partner leaves or if I leave and she's here, like five minutes before we get home, like the dog is going nuts, right? He can't smell us, can't see us, can't, there's something else, there's something else in the, in the ether that the dog is connected to that most of us just don't have sensation of. I wonder too, one of the things that I'm often kind of tweeting or mentioning on social is to be mindful of what you consume. And something that I find really interesting about the things that you share is like pretty much the entire body is a sensory receiver in the sense that like your hair, I think you've gone into saying that the hair is an extension of the brain. And uh, the skin is also an extension of the brain as well. So I wanted to ask you what your thoughts are on the mechanism of the human body in terms of receiving. And also, how do you feel engaging with the external world? Like when you watch a movie or when you're um, eating certain foods, how is that kind of consumption in various different degrees integrating into the body? And how does it serve or harm the body? So there is three main points I got from that question that I'm going to have to cover. <laughs> I give loaded questions. <laughs> so first of all, it's about intention. So as I start talking about this, I want everyone to know that as powerful that we are, if like, let's say you, you aren't at a state where you can attain very good quality foods or if every single day you're witnessing or in conversations with not very high quality from a normal standard standpoint, uh, not very high quality environment, you are the light source, right? Like you are the source of light. And as long as your intention is strong, you can override almost anything, whether it's a, a bad diet or a bad environment. And so knowing that can almost make you invincible to a degree. Now, yes, uh, from an un without knowing that unconsciously, everything that we bring into our mouth and into our body, once again, the gut also has 
a brain and it is and is bringing the energetic consciousness of everything that you eat up into yourself, up into your brain. And then that's being translated into hormones. It's being translated into your thoughts, your motivations, what you, what your perspective is. And so food quality and the intention of the food grower or the food preparer or the ground that the food was on, all of that is going into yourself. And just like the heart field is interacting with other fields, what's important when it comes to two fields is the stronger field is going to, is the field will start merging into, into one frequency. And the stronger frequency is going to override. It's going to, it's going to translate the, the weaker field into itself. And so when I'm saying all this, we just have to be the stronger field. And I can talk a little bit about that. I just want to answer these other questions first. So yes, your, your body is absorbing, absorbing energy, even just watching TV, right? And, and it all goes down to the intent of the director and, and, and that, that story is building emotions, it's building thoughts, and you're passively, like literally plugged into the matrix when you're watching TV. You're just sitting on a couch, being passive, and you're being fed visual and audio data that is going directly into your system. And if you aren't translating that data into your field of energy that is strong, and stable, you're going to let that data come in and change you, which is why a lot of people do watch TV because they're kind of upset with their life and they want to see a more exciting life. So they kind of plug in and watch love affairs and like F like secret agents going on, like going and saving the world because that just feels better to what their currently their current state is. Now, so that's from like eating and perceptual awareness. And, and it really does affect who we are because when we step into this reality, as I said, the, the field that you are is going to affect the field that is reality. And the more alignment, the, heart, the head brain, the heart brain, and the gut brain are, the stronger your field. So uh, it's the incongruencies that make you really easily a victim of this reality, easy to feel like you don't have control of this reality when you're not in complete alignment. The body, yeah, the, the hair and the skin, these are more like they're, they're bringing in, I would say similar to, I want to say electrical, but it's, it's, it's deeper than electrical. But I would say the information that the sun brings in, right? We can think about the sun as electricity as opposed to a burning ball of fire, okay? So the, the gravitational universe theory of like the Big Bang, that all is based on a gravitational universe where like everything was condensed in a ball and it blew up. And then there was clouds of stardust that condensed into stars and the leftovers condensed into planets. It's a theory. We don't actually know, but there's, there's another way of thinking of the universe as growing as opposed to just like destructively exploding, but growing and the stars are like nodes in an electrically connected universe. 
and each star is sharing information to each other and each galaxy is doing the same thing. And so everything's connected both uh, <clears throat> in like a speed of light version, which the speed of light is from what I understand, not a constant speed. It, it has changed throughout the years, but then at one point, the scientific community said like, no, it's gonna be 183,000 miles per hour, uh, per second. And no one's gonna prove that wrong. But there is ways where we can see the other side of the galaxy or the universe, and we can measure changes in it instantaneously. So there are ways to tap into fields of energy that are not light, that uh, have instantaneous effect on us here. And morphic fields are what those are called. Why am I saying all this? Because the skin and the hair are picking up on all this information coming around us. And all of that is important to understand and to know that things like putting plastic on your head, like if you're wearing a plastic hat, it could potentially block some of that information. Same thing with plastic clothes, because plastic disrupts morphic fields. Um, and so does aluminum. And so there's, there's things to be aware of when you cover yourself with clothes, perfumes and deodorant and all of that stuff is likely disruptive to your human technology, not just for business sake for these big corporations, but it's likely disruptive by design because this whole shifting reality thing, if it were real, let's just say if it were real, the people who are whose agenda is to maintain control of the population on this planet, their agenda would be to utilize the people to create a world where they are controlled, right? Because it's not that they're more powerful than us. They just know that we are powerful and they use our own creator powers to create the slave state that is our current like economic way of being. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me, um, I had a recent conversation with a guy named Dave Zed, and he brought up the fact that we are almost kind of like human batteries. And we have this unconscious surrendering of our sovereignty in the world that we live in. So I guess like, at this moment, there, t there seems to be so much conversation around uh, conspiracies and things of that nature. But I think one of the reasons why it's great to connect with you is because at the core, I think everything is energy. And so I think bringing the awareness of your own personal power and energy, the energy and light that you, you have and you are, um, how do you feel... Um, a person at this moment listening to this could take initiative to begin to make shifts? Is that through fasting and movement? Um, what practices do you engage every day to kind of stay in the state of higher awareness or power? So yeah, the, the yoga and the breath work and the ice baths and the movement and the exercise and the dance and the chanting and the sound baths and all of that stuff helps. However, if you are still watching the news and feeling like a victim of whatever's happening, well, whoever's president, whatever war is going on, whatever 
whatever's happening, even if you are one of the victims of this entire system, meaning, you know, you were a child sex slave, or you're a 12 year old kid in China making our iPhones. If you're in the situation, not realizing that you are the creator of it for your own evolution, then you're missing the point. It doesn't matter how long you hold your breath, how, how deep into the ocean you can swim without, you know, breathing and cold, cold water and meditating. You're dismissing your godliness when you disagree with what is. Okay, w- w- what is, is period. And if you are looking at that, perceiving what is and thinking that shouldn't be, then there's a, there's a disconnect. You're basically saying, no, I don't have control of this. And so to answer your question, what I feel is most important is responsibility. Assume responsibility for everything, like literally everything. And that would mean that you will no longer complain about anything because complaining is the opposite of being responsible. And responsible comes down to response ability, the ability to respond, okay? It doesn't mean that you necessarily agree with it. I mean, you do agree with it. How do I wanna say it? It doesn't mean that it's, it's uh, harmonious to you because it'll, you will have to practice to find the harmony in what currently is. And it's through that practice that you will become all, right? And when we talk about enlightenment, you become embodied by light and everything is light. So in order for you to become all, you must accept all. And it's very difficult to do in this in this planet right now. But if you look at history, there has always been problems. There's always been murder and, and, and all of this stuff. But guess what? If you go into nature, you go walk into the forest, you see frogs eating dragonflies, you see wolves taking down deer. That's life on earth, period. So just because we live in houses doesn't mean that the equivalent of the frog and the insect isn't happening to us. And yes, we are both the frog and the insect in many different things. I just mentioned a 12-year-old Chinese kid building our iPhones. Like that exists. We're the frog eating the insect in that scenario. And then there's other scenarios where the government is taking advantage of us or these higher dimensional entities are sucking energy out of our souls when we're fearful or anxious and they want that to perpetuate. And to understand that if you were to design a universe that is self-perpetuating, the higher levels will feed on the lower levels. And that's just the way of a cycle. Like the higher levels have to feed on the lower levels. Otherwise there's no energy to go up. And so understanding our place in that and the cycle of life and not being so attached to your comfort, not being so attached to even your life. Like imagine a leaf on a tree being attached to its life, right? Like, no, I don't want to die. I'm not going to die. I'm not like, and we, as an outside perspective can see that the leaf is just a function of the, the giant organism of the tree and that the leaf must die and that the leaf is going to come back again the next season. 
And if you look at every single religion and every single culture, there is this concept of an afterlife or multiple lifetimes. And that's what we're seeing within ourselves. So understanding that this is an experience for us and whatever your experience is, everybody has the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Everything, everybody has the best thing that's ever happened to them. So it doesn't matter how dramatic, how luxurious, how poor, how painful, or it doesn't, it just doesn't matter. Everyone has the spectrum of experience that they are experiencing as the individual. And knowing that this life was chosen by you, probably before you were born and that you came specifically to experience this version of life and to understand that this is an experience and to not close your eyes and shove it away, but to absorb yourself into it. That's, that's where I would start. I would start there before (laughs) any, before like any movement practice and all of that stuff, eating well, all of that stuff is to help facilitate your ability to absorb this energy because it is it is a lot to take on and it's a practice and it's hard to do and so uh strengthening your nervous system and your subtle energy systems will allow you to be more capable to be responsible to be able to respond i think when you speak of responsibility and then also kind of saying um everything in a way how I understand it kind of is like everything is as it should. And the goal is to be in a state of allowance. That isn't the same as being passive, but being enrolled in the way that I look at it. Am I right in understanding that or? Yeah. I mean, passivity is also ejection, right? You're not participating. Mm -hmm. And so that's also the same as fighting. Right. And also like we all go through stages. So maybe you do have to go through some fighting to, to get to the next stage. Right. And as we go through stages of evolution, some things contradict what you may have done in the past to get through a certain state of as a stage of evolution. I would say that I've arrived at the place of acceptance, the way that I I am because I spent my entire life fighting. I was a hockey player since three years old. My entire standpoint of what reality was back then was to be better than other people. That was like my, at any cost. And my role within hockey was to hurt the other team. I was, I fought every single weekend, like when I got older and fighting was a lot loud. And it was like, I'm just trying to break the bones of other people. And then I got into a competitive CrossFit career. And again, it was just about being better than other people. And so after experiencing several lifetimes, probably of violence and competition, I've exhausted that as a a tool of my experience. It doesn't, doesn't serve me. And so I'm capable to never need to do that anymore because I've done enough of it. And so I don't know if that was necessary for me to get to the standpoint that I'm at, uh, but I do see a lot of people who have a lifetime of fighting or, you know, maybe they're warriors and, and then, you know, it's the, it's the samurai, right? At the end of their life, they, they have this different being as a result of them taking so many lives. They, they start to have a deeper understanding of what life is. 
Do you feel that people that arrive to a level of consciousness where they are able to allow without fear of anything really, as you say, like the, the samurai, samurai essence or in a way how you've kind of transmuted from a very competitive or ego-driven person, do you think that that archetype is always following that path? I know for myself, I resonate with what you just said because I also have kind of moved through life with a lot of anger and um, egotism and these kind of self-driven initiatives only to arrive now at the ability little by little to surrender. So I wonder, is this the way or is there other ways that people kind of arrive at this place? I would assume that there's other ways. I would just, I would just have to think of it. So for, I, I studied psychology in school also. So I spent the last 20 years of my life pondering why I am the way that I am because I'm my own subject, right? When in, not that psychology university taught me a single thing, but I just mentioned that is that what my interest was. And I was hoping that the university would teach me about uh, how humans behave. It really didn't, but my brain was always on trying to figure out the human being. And I would say that, uh, like I was explaining the densities that the motivation for competitiveness and anger is the motivation to be individually strong and capable. And I think once you go through that and you realize that you are strong and capable and pretty much that you've always been strong and capable, you realize that like all of the story of the fight was unnecessary. So that's how I kind of explain it to myself, like the winner, right? So you got a wrestler, for example, who's who's training, he's waking up at 4am, he's barely eating all day long, and he's running the bleacher stairs till his nose bleeds. And he's doing all this stuff. And he doesn't allow himself to feel like a winner until he beats everybody else in the state and receives a gold medal. And the thing is, is that receiving that gold medal doesn't make him a winner. So he will be unsatisfied, probably 10 minutes later, the next day when what's on his mind is the next season because he can't receive a gold medal every single day. So he's going to be continuously unsatisfied, which is what makes great athletes. It's just, they're a little bit unconscious about this for the most part. I'm, I'm sure there's people that are aware, but like what actually makes him the winner is his effort. And when, when you, when you just decide like, Oh, I'm capable and strong and able just being me. And I don't need to prove that to anybody. That's when you, when you, when you release the, the need to prove is when you stop doing all that. Bob Marley has an awesome quote. I forget. I, I say, I forget a lot, um, but I'm, I'm unsure. It's, it's like, it says uh, the day you win the race is the day. Like, it's like when you, when you stop racing is the day you win the race, something like that. Because mm -hmm. you never really win if you're actually trying to win. And so, okay, so that's my way of explaining reaching this, but I could also see how like a musician, a creatively minded person who never was about anger or competitiveness, but can, can even see, find the frequency and sound and then translate that into the frequency of life and realize that all of the emotions of life are just like 
the emotions of a song and that there has to be high points and low points and silences. And so that translation and, and awareness coming into the world. So that's just another example of how somebody can arrive at this standpoint, not going through. So I think that no matter where you are, you can be going into the direction with your current capabilities and understandings. You don't have to like grab a hockey stick and go start hitting people. Yeah, I think um, I, I saw recently you, you mentioned in a video too that I think kind of goes along with this is you said that if you were handed a Ferrari and you rejected it because you didn't think it should be so, you're, you're basically rejecting the, the path of the universe or like the will of what is intended for you. And contrary-wise, if you reject what happens to you in a negative light, you are also rejecting what is meant to happen for you. So I, I think that this is a very interesting phenomenon that you speak of. And I think very relative to the times, because I think a lot of people feel that what's happening in the world is like a personal attack. And so I was wondering if you could speak on that on a micro level. And then if you'd like, you can expand into the macro. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a really cool thing because most people usually focus on the positive, but not really the negative. So one thing they know from, from many, many discussions with people who are about to die is that nobody cares about the struggles that they had in life. In fact, when at the end of your life or, the, or even just looking back at your life, you can see that the struggles and the failures that you have are like, that's the prerequisite of your success right? That's what made you stronger. That's what made you know what not to do or, or, or evolved your thinking around a certain subject. But the people at the end of their lives regret, well, what they, they only like the thing that's on their mind the most are the regrets of the things that they didn't do, right? So it's not that they regret that they went through a divorce. It's that they, you know, they didn't do something. So all of the things that these little deaths that we have throughout life or that's an ending of a stage, when we're in that stage, it feels like the end of the world. And it's not, it's like, like I said, throughout all of history, there has always been turmoil, like always. And if there wasn't like, what would be the point of life? We just come to earth to like sit on a beach and, and, drink champagne every single day like what are people wanting besides this this is the color as i said the musician right like this is the song universe one song like this is the song of our life and right now we're dealing with what this is we're dealing with like 5g being rolled out right but when airplanes were being invented they were dealing with these things called airplanes and they were crashing and killing people and so like now we get to safely ride on the airplanes there's going to eventually be a point where this world is technologically connected where the radiation doesn't harm the people but for now like this is what we're dealing with in 2021 like we're the people that are going to probably get harmed and and have to deal with the damage done by the, the radiation. That's just what it is right now. And so this is all, this is just part of life. And knowing that, that what we're going through now is going to make us, and I always love taking the perspective of my 80 year old self. So like, if you're going, not that I need to 
I don't really need to do this anymore, but it's like what I suggest other people do a lot is like, what would your 70 year old self, would they care about this thing that you're making into a huge issue right now? Would they care about it or would they actually spend this time creating, right? Like there's a lot of potential right now. And what I see on social media is that people are focusing on all the things that that could be wrong with the situation, but like there's a massive transfer happening right now. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. And a lot of us have been waiting for this. We've been waiting for a shift. The way that the world was operating with, you know, so last year I was driving through El Segundo, which is right by LAX. And I was looking at these giant buildings. They weren't even that big, but they were just office buildings. And I was looking at these office buildings. This wasn't last year. This was two years ago. This is before COVID. I was looking at these office buildings and I was just thinking, why do these things exist? We have the internet. Why do literally thousands of people have to get into their car and drive to this building every single day, you know, Monday through Friday of their life to sit down at a computer to do some task? when they could very easily just be doing this at at their home. And I was just imagining how inefficient our society is for doing that. And then COVID happened and everyone who was non-essential lost their job. And what that tells you if you're going through this loss of a job is that the world is becoming... Uh, more efficient. And right now, the most, the people that are increasing the efficiency are people like Jeff Bezos and Amazon. That is drastically increasing the efficiency, right? You just go tap some things on your computer and tomorrow a roll of toilet paper shows up or your sneakers or whatever. And so we all can participate in that. And so the memes where they're like, Amazon made $50 billion, like, Mm -hmm. We can participate in that. The world is a freeing up of human energy. And this human energy is is right now expressing pain and sorrow of loss. And I think it's when people realize that no one's coming to save them and no one ever was your entire life, we're taught, right? Their parents are going to save us. Their teachers are going to save us. Their employers are going to save us. We're kind of trained to think that people are responsible to to us when 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 everyone wakes up to the fact that we are individual creators creating our own existence in our reality and to stop waiting for a 1200 or 2000 or 600 check and start figuring out how to take yourself who's existing right now in a awesome time on this planet where we have the internet, we have the ability to connect with other people, we have the ability to fly anywhere in the world. And how do you make the world a better place? Because you just lost your job where you just went into a, even, even teachers, like people not realize that one teacher can do the job of the hundreds of thousands of teachers Mm -hmm. all over the, like, at some point, there's going to be one person doing the job of those 100,000 teachers. There needs to be one first grade teacher, one scientist, one science teacher, one gym teacher on one computer broadcasting to millions of kids. And then what does that mean? It doesn't like people are like, well, well what about my job? Release the attachment to your slave job mm-hmm. and, and discover what could be because we don't need 100,000 people doing the same thing. We need one person. 
those 99,999 people can now make the world, it can evolve the world. And that's what we've all been waiting for and hoping for. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because um, I know a lot of uh, friends can't stand, you know, Bezos and the fact that there's this massive transfer of wealth, but the way that I see it, and maybe this is the like entrepreneurial kind of viewpoint that I take of things, is that the people that are advancing in this moment are the people who perceived and saw it coming because they had the foresight to see the opportunity. And so this gap that's being created is actually those who were enslaved in their job and tethered to the old way, old paradigm. And they are waking up to what's happening. And so now they have to recognize and like you said, release and then uh, take on responsibility in co-creating the world that they want to create now because there are massive efficiencies. I, um, I personally dropped out of college and everything I've ever learned has been through Teachables or YouTube videos or oh, Zoom calls like this. And those formats are recorded curriculums in which multiple people are creating information products where they're teaching valuable, and I would argue more valuable uh, lessons than the old paradigm of going to a school to get good grades, to then get a cap and gown that celebrates that you've been educated. But I, I think that you make a really, really good point, and I think you said it really beautifully because there's there's people who, uh, before COVID, I used to work in the hospitality industry while also having an online business, and I couldn't separate the attachment to the job, the, the slave job that I had had all my life, right? And so the best thing that ever happened to me was I got let go from my job that I was wanting to leave, and... I, I am encouraging my friends now because I say, you know, you've, you've wanted to be an actor or a creator. Now is your chance to create and to use that creativity to create opportunities for yourself. So um, I thank you for saying that because it was really, really well said. I, I, I guess uh, something that I found uh, interesting about you too is that you do leverage the internet and you have been for some time. Um, one is you have the Kriyas of the week, which is in a way you are a teacher to many across the world. Um, how did you arrive at that moment to create the Kriya of the week? I guess before we get into that, maybe you could tell a little bit more about what it is and how it came to be. So Kriya of the week is a 15, it, it's a, it's a website, it's a membership based website that assigns a 15 to 25 minute Kriya to its members. And then the members repeat the Kriya daily for seven days. That is the intent. Not everyone does that. And then the next week they get a new Kriya. And a Kriya, in Sanskrit, Kriya means to do. And it's essentially a practice we where we are testing, strengthening, utilizing our bodies technology. And so we're, we're doing movements, we're doing breath work, we're doing mantras, which, are, which is chanting, and we're connecting our body physically, we're connecting our body energetically, and we're bringing it all into alignment so that we can do all the things that we're talking about, go out into reality in a responsible fashion. And it's all about like full spectrum awareness of the body, because you know, even if you just think about like, can I bring my awareness into my little toe? 
there's, you know, not a lot of people can do that. Just like sit and, and bring their awareness into their little toe. We, we mostly feel like the part that is us is somewhere in our head, right? A little bit behind the eyes and between the ears, that's us. And the rest of us is just kind of like this machine dangling from this center console. And that the machine's job is just to like, take us around this earth. (laughs) And, and that's, that's really not what it is. Like we are like, a, like, like the heart, like we're all connected. And so the more that we move our body, the more that we open up our experience within, which is going to then translate to the experience that we have in our external environment. And the Kriyas are actually made very short and accessible and digestible to the main audience because there's other versions of these kriyas that are, you know, we, sh- we could be doing them for 90 minutes every single day. And I just felt like there is a gap in the teachings that wasn't allowing somebody that is still like, you know, drinking beer and watching football every day. It wasn't allowing that person an easy way in. And so for me, the greatest level of improvement, uh, I shouldn't say improvement of support that, that I could offer to, to the world is to, to impact the, the mass market of people. And so I'm designing these Kriyas in a way that is short, accessible for anybody to do. And if they want deeper, deeper understandings and, and a better, more intense experience there's you know there's other kriyas there's other methodologies that they can go discover but there's it's going to be a lot more intense than kriya of the week Mm -hmm. and so some of the kriyas are intense but the way that's how i came to as i was like okay uh, i don't want to work in a yoga studio because i used to own gyms so if i'm going to work in a yoga studio i'm going to own the yoga studio but i also don't want to start a brick and mortar business because I know that the function of that is it doesn't, it's not needed anymore. We don't need yoga studios. You can, you can get aloe moves or Gaia.com or just go to YouTube and receive better teaching there than you would at the person that just happens to own the yoga studio one mile from your house. Literally the best teachers on the entire planet are accessible in your pocket right now for Mm -hmm. like, $10 a month. So going to pay $200 at brick and mortar studio doesn't make any sense. So as a business owner, I was like, that's not going to be the case. I'm not going to own a yoga studio. I'm not going to work in a yoga studio. And I also don't have a lot of time. So I designed a perfect business for me where I get to go. I created all my passions. I get to teach outside in the elements. So the whole thing is designed where I'm, I film in epic locations I go outside and I find locations that have good backdrops. And so that forces me at least once a week to go as a function of my business to go to these locations and I film a short Kriya and I don't have to film a Kriya every single day. It's once a week. It's manageable within my life to do this. And then I, I trade it, right? There's a value exchange so that people don't have to think about doing a Kriya. They can just sign up and receive it for $11.11 11 
a month. It's like super cheap for everyone. It's cheap for me. It's cheap energy, energy expenditure. It takes me about one day, like a full day a week to do this. And I could definitely expand into this business, but I'm saying all this background stuff so that people can understand that I make more money with Kriya of the week than a yoga teacher. And I could scale up Kriya of the week. I just haven't because I have another business that takes all my energy, but I could scale up Kriya of the week and be making massively more money than I would if I owned a yoga studio that teaches this sort of thing. So like there's opportunity for everyone, no matter what you do. And the, the great thing of everything that we were just talking about is that going down to rock bottom means that you have to figure something out, right? Mm -hmm. So it seems like everyone's going down to the point where they're at zero and then they have to figure something out. And I've been there before as well. And it's an awesome place to be because all the only direction is, is up. And right. so no matter what, everyone's going to rise, whether they have to go all the way down before they rise is, is up to them. Yeah. I think also what's, um, been a blessing as well as kind of the time freedom aspect too. Like I've wanted to create this podcast for like years. And um, I know you get to have a lot of free time to do really interesting practices. And I remember there was the one where it's like the paddling or you paddle certain meridian points on your body and just different things like that. Um, you did mention you have another business. And I think that when you have a larger team, I was just wondering, maybe you'd want to if you wanted to share a little bit about that, and then maybe I can ask you a couple questions about the future, what you kind of hope to create from there. For sure. So I'm involved in network marketing as well. And so I have a giant network marketing uh, organization, and we're aligned with a company called Purium. And I'll explain a little bit more about that, why I love doing it. Um, for me, Perium and the network marketing portion, it took me many years to find alignment in it. And once I did, uh, our organization took off. And right now we're, we're successfully selling multiple millions of dollars of superfoods a year. And these superfoods are guaranteed money back to make impact on a person, basically blow your mind. You can return the products if you don't like them or just didn't feel like they quote worked. Uh, they're scientifically proven to do things no other foods can do. Primarily like our, our big things is uh, we've got the only superfood or the only supplement, I don't, the only thing that's proven that is even ventured to prove that it can remove glyphosate from the human body. And glyphosate is Roundup, which is produced by Monsanto, which is sprayed on all of our food and it goes into our body and it destroys our gut. All the microorganisms that they want to destroy in the field so that the crops can grow without weeds and insects. The destruction of that the chemicals used to destroy those pathways and those pests are also the same pathways that are being destroyed in the bacteria in our gut. So we can no longer, we no longer have functioning guts. A lot of people aren't connected because they're, they're, they're not 
bringing in the consciousness and the energy from the food because their gut's destroyed from glyphosate. So this is an answer to not only make people healthier, but also improve their consciousness. Because for me, I started thinking about all of this stuff when I was about 18, 19 years old, and I started eating organic because I was working out for hockey and I started eating organic. Then all of a sudden I'm just like meditating and asking questions about 9-11 and doing presentations about 9-11 and <laughs> in college and experimenting with dreaming and, and what possibilities there are in non-physical dimensions that all happened. I didn't know this, but when I think back, it all started happening when I started selecting organic apples and, and oranges and broccoli because those are like the only things that I could afford organic, but I started there and that started opening up my consciousness. So the network marketing thing is amazing because we're essentially teaching people to be responsible for themselves. We're teaching them like we're the, we're the marketing department of Perium. It is our responsibility to distribute the superfoods. And we do that through our networks that we currently have and that we start to learn how to attain. And then we learn first the ability to enroll people into our vision and enrolling people into your vision is the thing that every great leader does well. And every employee does very poorly because they are enrolled to the vision of their boss. So if we want to start being these creators, we need to number one, have a vision and be able to enroll other people into that vision. The greater vision we have of them, of their health and their consciousness, the greater vision we have of them, of their finances. And then we must support them and teach them all of the skills necessary for communication business development, how to handle, you know, people's limiting beliefs, how to most importantly handle our own limiting beliefs, transcend them, and then exist in this new paradigm. A lot of what we're seeing in the world right now is people are holding on to their old life and they don't, they don't want to let go of that for something new. And so business ownership allows you to really face all of the parts of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so network marketing is also known as multi-level marketing. And a lot of people have an opinion on that. And most likely they may have got into it and not done any work and, and they lost some money because they think that them buying the products of their company wasn't worth it. However, like I said, our products are guaranteed money back to work and they do work and we change hundreds of thousands of lives with our products and our business opportunity is essentially free to get involved in. So it all just comes down to getting involved and then being responsible for yourself and your ability to be of value and of service to your reality. And the better value and service that you can be to reality, the more that you get paid. And for me, I'm making many times the amount with Perium than I was when I owned several gyms in downtown Los Angeles and I was balling then. And so this has completely changed my story, my narrative of life. And, and I'm just beginning, I'm two months in. And so we've, but yeah, that's, that's what, you know, I, I used to, I used to have my own opinions in network marketing when I realized that like, oh, wow, we're creators. We have a vision and we're creating creators. We're helping people realize that they can create their reality. That's when I like clicked into this and I started being proud of what I do every single day. And I started being passionate about what I do every single day, which is 
essentially just supporting other people. I and that's, that's the closest, like that's the closest I can get to ascension. And so that's what I'm doing now. I think it's also important too, because um, I personally um, used to hold kind of a negative uh, paradigm or thought about um, MLMs. And I think that most people that don't really succeed because they, they are, their intention, like you mentioned earlier, is to make money, not to provide value. So that's the first like mechanism of error. And then the second thing is also they don't align to what it is that they're potentially selling. And I think when you take that language of like multi-level marketing or network marketing out, it's the same function of business, in my opinion, as other businesses. It just has that, that label that to some people is kind of like a dirty or sticky label. But um, is your team or the people that you uh, connect with, are you, is that the Holistic Justice League? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, you mentioned something. It is business. It's straight up business and not everyone's trained in business. And I think it's better than conventional business. When I owned the gyms, there was three major things that I really didn't like. Uh, number one was the overhead. The overhead was insane. Mm-hmm. I could make $50,000 and I would have to spend like 35 to 45 of it on bills. I would have spent like 30, 40,000 on bills if I made 50,000. And also I didn't like the fact that I had to be at a location. It was like very location dependent. I couldn't just go live in India for six months if I wanted to, even though that's like what I, my soul like longed for. I just like wanted to leave Los Angeles for long periods of time, but I couldn't because I was trapped to the business. And then three, most importantly was the function of employees. All of my coaches and my staff, they became my friends and it felt really bad paying them you know, $20, $30 a class. It's, it's not enough for people to exist. They coach 20, 30 classes a week. They're making 600 to $900 a week. That's not enough to survive in Los Angeles. And so utilizing people as tools didn't feel good for me. And in network marketing, there's, there's no overhead. Literally, we just operate in profit zone. There's, there's no overhead. You just operate in pure profit and you can make endless amount of money. It's unlimited talking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a month is like what, what is possible in network marketing. And, uh, you, you, it's not location dependent. Like I moved out of LA and I came up to Mount Shasta because I like the energy here. And then also we don't have employees. We teach, we, we support people to be better. And that feels so much better than having somebody who I pay a certain amount and then try and get as much as I can out of them, which is the function of traditional business. So I think also what I always kind of turn back to with these types of models is, which is really important to me. And it seems as, I mean, I think to everyone is that that time freedom, geographical freedom, what, how are you occupying your time now? In addition to like, what are the things that you do that aren't related to business or personal inquiry? Like, what is that like for you? Yeah, I do a lot of learning. I uh, like I'm currently enrolled in an 11 month course where I'm learning from people like Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins. And so that's taking up that's that's happening this year. And it's actually like we meet twice a week and then a full weekend every other month. And, and there's assignments. So I'm doing a lot of that. I like to also read and I 
really like going into nature and in particularly like getting into very cold bodies of water in nature. <clears throat> in Mount Shasta, we've got some of the best water in the world. It's the start of the Sacramento River comes underneath uh, Mount Shasta is a volcano. So it comes underneath Mount Shasta and it comes out of the ground. And at that point, you can collect water and drink it. And that water is super cold. And so I go into that river quite often. I also started working out again. I used to be very, very into the, the, the gym thing. And I got away from it for like three years and I built this business. And now I'm at a point where I have more time. And so I, I quit working out because I, I needed to find more of myself. All I knew was myself as an athlete. And so I quit eating protein and I quit working out and I just allowed myself to just shrivel up essentially. I learned a lot. I learned what it was like to not be the most fit person in the room and to not care to be better than other people and to be okay not looking so great with my shirt off. I learned all of those things and it was it was awesome. Like that was my intent. And so now I am starting to feel like having a functional body is is desirable. Like I want it. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of everything and it's all connected as well. It's all it's it's all about self-improvement really and self-understanding. And there's always parts of myself that I can push into and expand into. So that's where my interest lies. Yeah, I feel um, I'm definitely kind of similar in in that place. Although I'm not as far along, I'm not on business number two. And I'm still kind of processing and letting go of old paradigms. But I'm glad that our conversation has shifted and brought in this aspect of your life, because I think it's important to the times and and speaking to the opportunities at hand. And I also believe that, like you said, that business and really the aspect of taking responsibility does really present you with yourself and a a deeper awareness of yourself. And not everyone wants to do that. So in either case, this moment in time definitely offers a lot of opportunity and it's really exciting. And I think one of the questions that I have for you is how I've come to know you is you've always recommended books. And I don't think you realize how the books that you mentioned, I've always like read them. My favorite book probably of all time now is the book Initiation. And um, you also recommended The Sun Rises and The Raw Materials. Um, Are there any books that you recommend aside from those? And do you ever intend to write your own book? It's funny. People have been telling me to write a book since I was like 20 years old. Uh, So I'm not sure about writing my own book. I'm not sure if it seems like the only reason why I would write a book would be for business reasons. And that's what everyone says, write a book and you're the expert and you can get any interview you want and get a lot of press. And that all seems cool, but I don't, I'm not very aligned with that intention. And it seems like YouTube and it seems like things like YouTube or podcasts are maybe more effective of distributing what's inside me to others. And so I, I'm not, I can't find alignment in a book currently when I think about it. 
However, what what where I may find it is that a book will insp- it will demand that I formulate all of this stuff that I'm just kind of like jumbling out because there's nobody like holding me accountable to to make sure that it's digestible and formatted and organized. A book would demand that I organize my thoughts into a manner that is like subject oriented and digestible by an individual. And I think that I may be interested in writing a big book because of that, because it'll, it'll demand that I organize thoughts as opposed to just kind of like freely talk about it, which is what I'm doing now. But I know that that, (laughs) that, that limit of organizing everything is something that I have, and I might want to blast through that. So I'm just, there's one that comes to mind, but I'm just going also through my audible because I don't really read books. Like, I mean, initiation was a book that I read. The raw material was a book that I read. So there's definitely one that I want to recommend and it's called cosmic consciousness. And that's by Ken Wilber. That is epic. I think that it's it's a pretty, it's an advanced level read, but I think he does a really good job of making it digestible. And that's that's the one I want. That's like next level. And then, okay, so if people want channeled books like Initiation or like the raw material, if you look into this guy, Paul Seleg, it's Paul and then S-E-L-I-G. He has a trilogy that the trilogy has three books. One of, one of them is called, I think, The Book of Mastery, The Book of Truth, and The Book of Freedom. And I believe The Book of Mastery is book number one in that trilogy. And I can't remember if it's actually called The Book of Mastery, but I know The Book yeah. of, and The Book of Freedom are the other two. I, you know? Yeah, I was actually going to ask you if you've read his work. I, I absolutely love his books. I've read that trilogy three times. So you mentioned intention a few times during the podcast. And I want to ask you before we kind of wrap up is um, what intention do you intend to present to the world? And what intention do you hope to create in this lifetime? So the next sort of right intention is there's infinite possibilities of reality and you're you're honed in on one of them you're vibrating at the frequency of one of them and then you're bringing tension into the infinity right the infinite into tension and then you draw that reality to yourself and so the 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 reality that i'm going that i can feel connected to is getting into the more of the investment side of of the world and playing with and figuring out and learning how that all works, right? And so when, as a result of that, then I can bring that functionally into teachings. And right now I have a little bit of experience on how you can use leverage of assets to to basically make way more money than we ever could with trading our time but even when i'm doing now there is a job to do and so i want to see how that all works and how that all ties into consciousness because the greater that we that we achieve in any aspect of life whether it's sports or music or meditation or financial 
the greater that we go, uh, eventually you're in levels that are like, how can I say there, there are spiritual levels and like Michael Jackson, for instance, he, he wasn't just singing. There was like, he was at this phase of his art where he was like drawing in, I mean, some sort of energy outside of himself and like blasting it out into an audience and, and putting them into like a trance state that you would experience in like a church or in a massively deep meditation. And so I feel that there's that same level of existence within the financial world. And the world right now seems to not have enough people mm -hmm. <laughs> operating financially at that level. And so I'm, I'm working my way up through the ranks to, to figure out where that exists. So, you know, maybe, maybe there's a trail where others can go and, and there's probably trails already. And so that's kind of where, where my intention is set. Cool. Where can people find you? So main channel is Instagram and it's raw underscore of underscore earth. And then I've got rawofearth.com, which with no underscores. And then of course the career of the week and that's right. The, um, how do I say your other business, Perium? Perium, yeah. Perium's a giant organization. And so you'd want to be on my team because that's how you would be uh, connected to me and all of our greatness. Um, and we could be great together. So you would just want to uh, connect with me on either my website or Instagram. Cool. Any last words? Nope. <laughs> I, this was really cool. I enjoyed it. It's been a while since I've done podcasts and I have three scheduled this week. <laughs> awesome. So it's nuts. Yeah, no, it was really great to connect with you. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of pretty much all of the stuff that you put out and um, I'm enjoying seeing you shift and move into these different spaces. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, I guess this is that time where we, we say goodbye on podcast. Great. Well, I enjoyed it. Take care, everyone.